0: You are now listening to the June 24th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have the Fruit of the Spirit, Sermon, and Equipping the Saints. First, let's begin with the Fruit of the Spirit.
1: Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministry listeners. This is Terry with the Fruit of the Spirit, a time in which we confess our hearts to the Lord. Jesus taught us that the commandment to love God and the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves are the greatest commandments in the Bible. As humans who still have sinful nature, we cannot keep these commandments without the help of the Holy Spirit. While we were yet sinners, God sent His Son to die for us. And yet, even though we have received this amazing grace, we still cannot love Him with our whole hearts. How can we love those who have hurt us? And how can we love those who we don't want to love? Scripture says that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But we are often disappointed because our sinful nature causes us to put ourselves first. These are the disappointments that may arise in us. Today, We will briefly share these stories and conclude the sharing about the fruit of the Spirit and its nine characteristics. In the previous session, we shared that as we get to know God through the Bible and meditate on His Word, we will love God more and trust Him, and we will be able to enjoy joy and peace that transcends our circumstances and withstands hardship. So, how can we love our neighbors? First, we must believe that God created humans in His image, unlike other creatures, and remember that the image of God is still present in our weak neighbors. Therefore, we must treat them with love, mercy, and kindness. Furthermore, when we experience difficulties or hardships because of our neighbors, we can overcome any hatred or bitterness and embrace God's grace by believing in God's sovereignty which is using everything to bring about his goodness. So what about our relationship with ourselves? The more disconnect there is between who we want to be and who we are in reality, the harder it is to accept and love ourselves. However, the Bible teaches us that in order to love our neighbors, we must first accept and love ourselves in a healthy way. The Bible verses like hate yourself Luke 14:26 or deny yourself, Matthew 16:24 teaches us that we should hate and deny ourselves when our mind and thoughts are not aligned with God's law and his will. The Bible refers to all believers who have become God's children through their faith in Jesus Christ as saints, that is holy people. But at the same time, through the story of our faithful ancestors, the Bible reveals how human beings are prone to sin and how weak we are. Rather than thinking and making self-evaluations, it would be more helpful for us to understand how God sees us and how He cares for us. This can only be understood by thinking biblically. Despite our weaknesses, we must accept God's word that He loves us, considers us holy, and has given us the Holy Spirit inside us. By doing so, the characteristics of the Spirit's fruit of gentleness and self-control will emerge, and we will live a life that is distinct from the world by relying on the Holy Spirit. The nine characteristics of the fruit that appear in one fruit are interrelated and reminiscent of the character of Jesus Christ. When we read the Bible, which is God's Word, correctly and obeyed in faith, God makes us more like Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit enables the fruit of the Spirit to bear in us. In the coming new year, I hope that by reflecting on the Lord's Word every day and obeying them, we will become more like Jesus Christ and the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit will become more evident to us. It is time to say goodbye and conclude our study of the fruit of the Spirit. Bye!
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is Jesus, Our Servant. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David.
2: Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. So let me start by setting the stage. If you weren't here last week or if you're visiting with us today, first, we are so glad you're here. And second, we started last week a four-week series. And one passage in the Bible, Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. It comes in the middle of encouragement for the church to look out for one another and love one another selflessly, to look out for each other's interests above our own. And in verse five, the Bible points us to the example of Jesus. And what unfolds from there may be the most majestic breathtaking awe-inspiring picture of the wonder of Christmas anywhere in the Bible even though none of the details of the Christmas story are even mentioned no manger or stable no Mary or Joseph no shepherds or wise men so let me read the whole passage again starting in verse 5 follow along with me I'll have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you The Bible says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we're doing leading up to Christmas is exploring this cave of supernatural treasure, one verse at a time. And last week we were in verse 6, and we talked about how Jesus, this baby born in a manger, was in the form of God and equal with God. We talked about the mystery of the Trinity, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. Specifically last week, we looked at how what we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of God in the flesh. Jesus, this crying, screaming, bedwetting baby lying in a manger, is God with us. And we talked about how this is the core truth in Christianity. It's what Separates Christianity from Judaism, Christianity from Islam. Now verse 7 today is going to tell us how that happened and why that happened. And the why is where I really want to encourage you, particularly if you're struggling in any way today. So let's look at verse 7 with the lead in from verse 6. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Wow, what does that mean? Jesus emptied himself. It's clearly something he willingly chose to do. Instead of grasping all that's involved in equality with God and being in the form of God, he emptied himself. Now, we know it doesn't mean he ceased to be God because, as we saw last week, he was in the form of God, equal with So, what does this mean to empty himself? And verse 7 answers that questions with question with two phrases. One, by taking the form of a servant. That's what it means for him to empty himself. And then two, by being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus emptied himself not by losing something, but by taking on something. He didn't take off his divinity. He took on the form of a servant. Same word that's used up earlier, the form of God, form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So in these two verses, we have a picture of Jesus as one person with two natures. Verse 6 is talking about his divine nature, what we saw last week. Now verse 7 is talking about his human nature. Which plunges us again into the deep end of the mystery and majesty of Jesus, of Christmas. Jesus, who we've already seen is fully God, is also fully man. And then just think about both these natures all throughout the Bible. In his human nature, we could say at points, he was 5, 10, 20, 30 years old. In his divine nature, he existed eternally. In his human nature, there were times when he was weak and tired. In his divine nature, he possessed omnipotent power. We saw this in our study of Mark 4. Remember Jesus sleeping on a boat? There's his human nature. Then he stands up and tells the wind and waves to stop. His divine nature. Even what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago in his human nature, he ascended into heaven. He's no longer in the world. And his divine nature, what we talked about last week, he's with us wherever we go and whatever we face. And his human nature, he had limited knowledge. And his divine nature, he was and is and always will be, omniscient, knowing all things. Jesus, still in the form of God, took on the form of a slave. Whoa. And this is not the only time the Bible talks like this. In fact, Jesus himself talks like this, very specifically. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus is talking with his disciples about serving, much like the context of Philippians chapter two is about serving each other in the church. And Jesus says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you hear that, are you seeing this? Jesus is telling us why he came. And there's so much we could talk about here, Lord willing. We'll actually come to this passage a couple months from now when we resume our journey through the book of Mark. So we'll be able to dive in deeper then. But for now, maybe write this down. Not even just physically, but spiritually imprint this on your heart. Three reasons why Jesus became human. And I want to make these personal so that you hopefully Feel this right where you're sitting right now. Why did Jesus become human? Hear his words. One, Jesus came to suffer like you. When Jesus calls himself the son of man, that's a title that he uses all throughout the book of Mark specifically to emphasize his humanity. And specifically in Mark, the hardships, and sufferings that accompany humanity. And Jesus is saying I came to experience what you experience in your humanity. And this is part of why I make the comments I did earlier about those Christmas carols, not just to be light, but because if we are not careful, we will picture Jesus as unlike us in ways that he is actually like us. We'll picture him as different from us in ways that rob us of the mammoth reality that Jesus specifically came to be like us, to experience what we experience. Are you tired? Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. Are you exhausted, weary, burnt out, or beat down? Jesus experienced all of those things. Do you experience emotional distress? So did Jesus. Do you experience physical pain? So did Jesus. Do you experience relational hurt? So did Jesus, he was alienated, betrayed, criticized, denied, ultimately condemned? Do you ever feel broken? Jesus was broken. Do you grieve? Jesus grieved. Do you sometimes cry out because you feel like you can't take it anymore? Jesus was full of sorrows, crying out to God the Father in desperation, even asking the question we're all familiar with, Why? Whatever physical, emotional, relational hurt or weariness you have, hear this. You do not have a God who is distant from what you're feeling. You have a God who is familiar with what you're walking through on deep. This is why Coryton Boom could cry from the depths of a Nazi death camp. No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Jesus came to this fallen world as a man to suffer like you. The language Hebrews 4.15 uses is to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Not only does Jesus see what you're walking through right now, he is able to understand and identify with you in it. He suffered all the way to the point of death, which leads to the second reason Jesus came. Feel this, Jesus came to sacrifice his life for you. We're going to talk about this more next week when we get to Philippians 2, 8, how Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to even death on a cross. What a phrase. But I just want to point out today how Jesus' full humanity, what we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, is necessary for Jesus to give his life for us. But the word for here in Mark 10, 45 literally means instead of or in the place of. In order for Jesus to die for us as people, he had to be like us as a person. The Bible makes this crystal clear. In Hebrews 2.17, talking about Jesus, it says he had to be made like his brothers, like every other man and woman in humanity. In every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. In other words, if Jesus was not fully human like us, he could not have paid the penalty due us as humans. He had to experience temptation just like we do, overcome that temptation to the full, and then die in our place. For those of you who are not yet Christians, maybe you're visiting today, exploring Christianity, this is the core truth at the center of the Bible. And it's what Christmas is all about. We have all been created by God for relationship with God. But we have sinned against God. It's the word the Bible uses for how we've turned aside, all of us, looks different in each of our lives. We've turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. And our sin has separated us from God in such a way that if we die in this state of sin and separation from God, we'll spend eternity experiencing judgment due to our sin. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us so much that he has come to us. This is what we're talking about. He came to live the life we could not live. Life of no sin, and then even though he had no sin for which to die, he came to die for us, to pay the price on the cross for you instead of you and me. He died the death. We deserve to die. And then the good news keeps getting better because he didn't stay dead for long. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the enemy we cannot conquer on our own. This is Jesus And no matter who you are or what you have done, if you will place your trust in Jesus, God will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him for all of eternity. We invite you to make today the day when you believe this good news in your life. Receive this gift. It's waiting for you today. And then third, and the first two are obviously awesome, but this is the one that, in a sense, takes the cake. This is the truth that is sustaining me and has the power to sustain you, but I'm going to go ahead and warn you, the language I'm about to use almost feels wrong to say, but I'm going to say it because Jesus said it. And Philippians two seven is saying it. So why did Jesus come and take on human flesh? Why was He born in the likeness of men? Reason number three: Jesus came to be your servant, or to use the original word from Philippians two seven, Jesus came to be your slave. This is straight from his mouth here in Mark 10:45. Even the son of man, he's talking about himself, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And it's interesting, the word Jesus uses here in Mark 10 is not slave. This word literally means to wait on tables. So get this, when Jesus looked for a word to describe why he came to you and me, he said, I came to wait on you. Think about that, you go to a restaurant, someone comes to your table and asks, how can I help you, what can I get you? I'm here to serve you. Jesus says, that's why I came, to say that to you. How can I help you? What can I get you? I'm your servant. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, saying this to you and me. This is lunacy. No religious teacher talks like this. We're supposed to serve deity. This is deity in the flesh saying, I'm here to serve you. This sounds crazy until we realize this is not crazy. This is Christianity. This is Christ. Jesus did not come as a potentate whose personal whims are to be catered to by lowly servants. Jesus came to be the lowly servant for you, right where you're sitting right now, and me. Jesus is saying to his followers, Then, and to you and me today, I did not come to be served by you. In my relationship with you, I'm the servant. I serve you. I work for you. I wait on you. Doesn't that sound almost blasphemous to say? Now, let's be clear what the Bible doesn't mean when it calls Jesus our servant. The Bible doesn't mean we tell Jesus to do whatever we want him to do and he does it, as if we have authority over him. And this certainly doesn't discount all the times in which the Bible calls followers of Jesus servants of Jesus. So there's a ton of time we could spend there. But follow what Jesus is saying here in Mark 10, because, well, think about it. This is, in a sense, the essence of Christianity. Yet so many Christians miss it. Think, Think about it. How do you become a Christian? How do you become a follower of Christ? The whole Christian life starts at the moment that you or I stop trying to serve God and we trust God to serve us, right? The Christian life begins when you realize you have sin in your heart against God and there's no amount of good you can do to cover over that. No matter, it's not, Christianity is not a list of things to do. Pray this amount of times, read the Bible, go to church, do all these things, and you'll earn your way to God. No, that misses the whole point. You can't cover over your sin on your own. You need God to serve you. You need Jesus' sacrifice, what we just talked about, to cover over the stain of sin in your life. And Jesus says, that's why I came. I came to serve you. And when we trust him to serve us in this way, that's when you or I become a Christian. But here's the deal. Once we become a Christian, we don't then move on from this. As if we don't need Jesus to serve us anymore. Jesus did not come just to serve us once, save us from the penalty of sin, and then we figure out everything else from there, which is how a lot of people view their Christian life and experience their Christian life. And it misses the whole point. Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to serve you every single day. So put this all together, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Just as truly as Jesus was in the form of God, he existed in the form of God. Jesus exists in the form of a servant, a slave for you. It's the whole reason he came and was born. Jesus became like you and me in order to serve you and me. So that. Now make the connection. When you're tired and weak, and burn out or beat down, or discouraged, or depressed. Hear what Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying to you. He is saying, I'm here to serve you. He's saying right now, I'm here to wait on you. Strength to get you through today. Peace that passes all understanding and joy that supersedes your circumstances. Jesus says, I'm I'm here to serve you. That's the reason I came. This is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to you and me in a fallen world, in a weary world, and saying right now, I exist as your servant. So I showed that picture of mercy I want to show you a couple of other pictures as well. Yesterday, I was out at NBC Arlington for the memorial service of Ruby Mae Blackwell. So Ruby's mom and dad, Stephanie and Kennard, are, have been a faithful part of NBC for a lot of years. And Ruby was born about a week before Mercy. With a congenital heart disease which eventually led to surgeries and severe brain and kidney injuries and fractured bones and countless other challenges. And almost exactly a month ago, actually when Stephanie and Kennard thought they were about to bring her home, Ruby unexpectedly and suddenly breathed her last breath. I sat at this memorial service yesterday near Brady and Jillian Workman whose son Callum was born this summer. Also with a host of medical challenges, primarily with his heart and brain. And after 55 days in Children's Hospital, right down the hall from the Blockwells, these two families from our church right there together, and after some sweet memories that God provided in Callum's hospital room, baby Callum breathed his last breath. And I do not know or pretend to understand or be able to explain why these precious couples have these pictures of their babies. We live in a fallen, weary, painful world with all kinds of questions for which we do not have answers. But we do know this. We have a God who exists to serve us in the middle of the hurt and the pain and the questions. And I don't presume for a second that this truth takes away the hurt or the pain or answers all the questions. But I I do know, based on my time with these two couples yesterday, that this truth provides hope in the middle of it all. Because the Bible is telling us, God is telling us today that he was Ruby's servant and Callum's servant. Because the Bible clearly teaches that when that little baby girl and that little baby boy breathed their last breath in that hospital, God himself was there to serve their little bodies in such a way that in the next instant they woke up to glory with him in heaven. And for their moms and dads, Stephanie and Cunard, and Brady and Jillian, in the middle of the hurt and the pain and all the questions, you can know that God himself is your servant. And he exists to wait on you, to provide you with everything you need, everything you need in the days ahead. That's the reason he came. Jesus came to serve Stephanie and Kennard and Ruby and Brady and Jillian and Callum. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to serve you. Right where you're sitting right now, to wait on you, to be your servant. I don't know what you're walking through in your life right now. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus does, he knows, he sees, and he's able to sympathize, and hear God speaking to you right now. Jesus, the mysterious, majestic God in the flesh is with you right now to serve you. This is Christianity. This is Christmas. And mark it down. There is coming a day in your humanity when you will breathe your last breath. You don't know when. It could be today for any one of us. It could be years from now. But whenever that moment comes... For all who are in Jesus, you can know this. In that moment, when your heart and your lungs fail, the fully human, fully divine Son of God who conquered death will serve you and lead you into eternal life with Him. All glory be to Christ Jesus, who being in very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I saw you. Trust him to serve you. Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you that question all across this room, other locations, wherever you are. Anybody within the sound of my voice, like, have you trusted Jesus to serve you? If you've never done that in your life, you've not come to that point, I invite you, let this moment be that point. God is speaking to your heart, saying, I love you. I've come to sacrifice my life for you and to serve you now and for all of eternity. Trust me to serve you. And just say to Him in your heart, yes. God, I I need you to serve me. I need you to save me from my sin. Jesus, I need you to cover over the stain of sin in my heart. I'm going to trust you to serve me with everything I need. Now and forever, I trust you as my servant and Savior. When you pray that, express that to God for all who have Maybe you expressed that for the first time to God years, decades ago. Can we just say it again in a fresh way today? Jesus, we trust you to serve us. I trust you and pray for everything that Stephanie and Kennard and Brady and Jillian need. For everything that every single heart in this gathering right now needs, that you are sufficient to serve our deepest needs, and so we pray that you do it. I just pray that over every single person, and the sound of my voice now, God, please serve them with everything they need. Help them to hear your love for them now. I think about our church Bible reading plan today, Zephaniah three. You quiet us with your love. Would you quiet hearts with your love, with hope? peace passes all understanding that they're going to make it through because you were with them you're for them let's pray that you would help them to hold on to you as their servant help us to hold on to you as our servant and Jesus majestic mysterious, wonderful name we pray. Amen.
3: Savior, say Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Finding me, Thine all in as all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. This mm-hmm. You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-602. 866-8999 Eight six six eight nine nine nine, or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com
0: The following program is called Equipping the Saints.
4: Hello, heart and soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundsted, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. And I'll share this at times, and it's not the way it used to be in our church, but it was this way before. People would come in the door, and my heart's like, I want to say hi. And people are sitting there, like, ignoring everybody. Don't manufacture that, but you should be happy to see them. It should be a blessing. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are my brothers and sisters. Now, one last warning, one caveat. Turn to Second John. The greeting really did signify you are saying they're a brother or sister in Christ, by the way. It did. It's really saying you are the family of God, and I love you. You're my brother or sister in Christ. It's a very serious thing. And so, therefore, we better not greet anyone that isn't of Christ or someone who makes it look like they are, but they're not. You be very careful. Otherwise, you will share in their sins. Notice how this is spoken here. Notice the greeting issue here. The greeting issue. 2 John, verse 8. And this has to do with those churches that are not good either, by the way. Be very careful. 2 John, verse 8. Watch yourselves. That you may not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Hey, the word of God has been working in you. You're being built up more like Christ, but you can lose that and not receive a full reward. Very serious. Watch yourself. Warning. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide, that means remain in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and what? Do not give him a greeting. That's the significance. For he who gives him, he's explaining. A greeting participates in his evil deeds. Don't be treating those denominational churches down the road as your brothers and sisters. Don't be saying, hey, brother. They're not. Do not give them a greeting. That's the point. We're not in the same family. And if you do so, you're now identifying with them, and you cause people to stumble. You participate in their evil deeds. That's a pretty serious situation. Those who have a wrong gospel, those who twist the word of God, those who are not bringing the truth of Christ rightly, don't greet them. They're not brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not. You participate in their evil deeds. So the greeting was very important back then. It was an identification of being in the family of God, and we are to greet Every brother with a holy kiss. Not a manufactured thing. It should be a heart thing. I love you guys and I'm glad you're here. You know what I'm saying? Glad to see you. How you doing, right? There's a genuine concern and care like you would with any true family member you love when you see them. So then we are to be praying for the leaders. He says, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Notice what he says next back in first Thessalonians. I adjure you, verse 27, Chapter 5, by the Lord to have this letter read to, again, this term, all the brethren. He says, I adjure you by the Lord. This is a command from Paul, but yet it is Paul saying, it's the Lord that's making this through me. And it all is, but he's strengthening it. I adjure. The term adjure is a very strong term. It means to put under a binding oath. I put you under a binding oath to do this. By the Lord. The Lord is putting you under an oath to do this. To do what? I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Very important. Notice he says, to all the brethren. There's an implication that the whole body of Christ is to hear it. And it was actually spoken in a tense that means a singular act in a particular time. Get them together and read this letter. You are obligated by the Lord to do this. I adjure you by the Lord. Now, at this time, there were copies of the Old Testament Scriptures. Remember, the Bereans checked the Scriptures to see if it was so. There were copies of it. The New Testament letters, we have some that were out, like this here, and yet they were not complete, nor were they copied yet in mass. Okay? So letters were read to the congregations in that sense. And they needed to be read. And so, by God's grace, we've done that here. You've all heard this whole book, haven't you? We've obeyed this command. The sad thing is I see many believers and make believers, they've never read through the book of first Thessalonians. They've never heard it in church. They've never heard it in the body of Christ. So little of God's word goes out in total. You little bits and pieces, but God's word doesn't go out in total or completely. You see, the reading of scripture in the church was paramount. We see that from Paul. Look to Colossians chapter four. Colossians chapter four. Greet the brethren, verse 15 who were in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, Colossians 4:16, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Read the letter. Have them all listen to it. The early church was continually devoted to the apostles' teaching the breaking of bread and prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, until I come, verse 13, give attention to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation and teaching. That's what the church should be about. What about 2 Timothy chapter 4? Turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you. Very serious serious charge. Again, these charges have to do with the Word of God going out. That's why pastors that don't put out the Word of God are so evil. Such an evil act. Can't think of anything more evil than a pastor not feeding the sheep. Second Timothy 4.1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths or stories. You see that? So Paul says, I adjure you by the Lord, have this letter read. Serious charge. Now, God uses his word to bring us into his kingdom, the gospel. We're born again through the living and abiding word of God. But also it is the means in which he equips us for every good work. Second Timothy 316. It's his word that performs its work in us. First Thessalonians 2.13. It is his word by which we grow in respect to salvation, 1 Peter 2, 1. It's his word by which we renew our minds and are not conformed to this world, but transformed, Romans chapter 12. It's his word which is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. It's his word which we are to hide in our hearts that we might not sin against him. It's his word that we live by spiritually. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This should be taught and read in every church all the way. I adjure you by the Lord. I adjure you. Sadly, this isn't happening in many churches, but there's nothing new under the sun, folks. Listen to what a preacher wrote more than 100 years ago. The word of God is not loved and studied either privately or publicly. Trashy literature is devoured in public. Music and ritualistic services and imposing ceremonies are eagerly sought in the public. Thousands will flock to hear music and pay for admission but how few care for a meeting to read the Holy Scriptures. These are the facts, and the facts are powerful arguments. We cannot get over them. There is a growing thirst for religious excitement and a growing distaste for the calm study of the Holy Scripture and the spiritual exercise of Christian activity. It's perfectly useless to deny it. We cannot shut our eyes to it. The evidence meets us on every hand. And he says, thank God there are few here and there, who really love the word of God and delight to meet in holy fellowship for the study of his precious truths, may the Lord increase the number of such and bless them abundantly. May our lot be cast with them till our traveling days are done. That's more than a 100 years ago. So true. The reality is the word of God should be going forth in the churches. Have this letter read to all the brethren. Now, maybe some of you have lost your desire for the word of God. I'll tell you, sin has gotten in the way. When our desire goes out the window for the word of God, our selfishness, our sins in the way, we've got to confess. And God will purify our hearts. He cleanses our hearts from our sin, and then he gives us a desire for it. You just listen when Solomon recounts David talking to him when he was young in Proverbs four, he says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find the speaker of the word of God and health to their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Have the word functioning rightly. May we all have a tremendous hunger for God's glorious provision of his word for us. So then, we come to the last command. He says, first of all, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. And he says here, not a command, he just says, hey, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says the grace of our Lord. He's the Lord. He's the sovereign. Jesus. The term Jesus is when God the Son took on human flesh. You shall name him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 121. It means the Lord is salvation. Christ. It speaks of the Messiah. The king predicted in the Old Testament who would rule forever and ever on the throne of David. Who would die for us. Suffer first for the glories to follow, and he is Lord. May his grace be with you. That's the desire, his grace. Now, what is grace? It's God's unmerited favor revealed in Christ and what he's done. It's an attribute of God. 1 Peter 5.10 spoke of the God of all grace. We see throughout Scripture that God's unmerited favor towards mankind is manifest in Christ. In Christ, John said in John 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth, unmerited favor and truth. Second Corinthians eight, nine, encouraging the Corinthians to give their previous pledge from a heart that's right, that desires to help the body of Christ. He says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. God's grace has appeared. Ephesians 2.8 9, we've been saved by grace. God poured his favor that we didn't deserve out on us by sending his son Jesus for us. But it's not only are we saved by his grace, we function by his grace. Every day we function in the same context where we can't do it, it's all him. May God's grace be with you. May it not be you on your own, may it be God's grace with you. Peter's desire was that grace and peace would be multiplied in our lives, 2 Peter 1. Jesus said, apart from him we can do nothing, John 15. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we're adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. God told Paul, that his grace is sufficient, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, for power is perfected in weakness. Now, for his grace to be manifest in your life, you need to humble yourselves that he would work through you. His power is perfected in weakness. So he ends this letter with the desire of God through Paul's desire, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May you function more and more by total dependence on Christ. His favor poured out in your life and everything you do. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So then, wonderful commands and a final statement. We're to pray for those who share the word of God with us. We're to express a holy affection for all the brethren in our midst. All of them in our midst. We're to take God's word seriously. And we're to function by God's grace alone. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being with you.